Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Ashwara, your host for this episode. And I'm Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes, video calls with us and more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com/desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. The episode that we have for you today is a follow-up update on the last episode we created, The Bedbox Murder. The story is of a beautiful young girl, Snehal Gaware, whose murder shook the city of Mumbai and led to the conviction of her boyfriend, Hiren Rathod. A lot has happened in the 24 hours since we uploaded that episode and new shocking details have come to the surface. So here it is for all of you, the unplanned part 2 of the Bedbox Murder. Here is the story of Snehal Gaware. Before we begin today's much awaited episode and I can hear our listeners thinking come on Ishwara just get on with the story why do we have this part 2 we need to know guys hold on for just a second we have some big big news to share with you the desi crime podcast family has grown and it wouldn't have happened without you all we've partnered with lost debate which is a media startup based out of new york Lost Debate is essentially a non-profit media company that tells the stories of people who are misunderstood, overlooked, or simply threatening to those with privilege and power. They are ethically contrarian, meaning that their goal is to challenge conventional wisdom, not to be different or provocative, but to highlight issues underrepresented in traditional media. Issues like the ones we highlight at the Desi Crime Podcast, issues like honor killings, police brutalities, and more. And not only have they invested in us, they launched the Lost Debate Show, a podcast and YouTube show for political nerds who want more nuance from the news and a good faith look at the issues. Just like me and you. Exactly. And the best part is, on this show, instead of being at each other's throats, they focus on bringing a reasoned perspective to the stories of the day. Conversations between real people. not talking heads and the world of american politics is already completely crazy so for international listener to better understand what is actually happening in the united states it is a much better alternative to cnn or fox so go check them out and show them the desi love it is the lost debate new episodes every tuesday and thursday subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you all Welcome to a part 2 we didn't plan on making. When I wrote down the script for part 1, I did my research on the case and I obviously realized some key details were missing. Nowhere online could I find Hiren's motive to kill Snehal, nor could I find the proper grounds on which the cops arrested him. I didn't know if the cops had any other suspects other than Hiren and Snehal's parents in mind, and I had no idea what Snehal's autopsy revealed. None of this information was online. 
A good number of all of you also noticed that the episode felt incomplete and I agreed. It felt incomplete to me too. But I did the best I could to present the facts and the common available theories. Then, something weird started happening. <laughs> On the post about the episode uploaded to our Instagram at Desi Crime, a number of Hiran's current students started reaching out to us. If you all don't remember, Hiran is a career counselor based out of Mumbai, working with young people, helping them get into colleges across the world. We had so many of these young people text us saying they knew him, they've met him, they've worked with him. This became the first case we'd ever covered where so many of our listeners actually knew someone involved in the crime. But, you know, being reached out by his students and co-workers is one thing. What happened next kind of blew our mind. Few hours after the episode went live, we were reached out by Hiren's wife. Isha Chakravarti Rathor. And as you can imagine, that led to quite an interesting conversation, to say the least. Now, a little background on Isha. She is an accomplished woman, not just the wife of a man. Isha is a lawyer by profession and a loving partner who has dedicated the last many years of her life fighting to save her husband's name and advocating for his innocence. She's written a detailed blog on why she believes he reigned is actually innocent and she also plans on starting an NGO to help the wrongfully convicted while also running a Facebook community page for the same naturally she felt that the episode we did did not do justice to her and her husband's side of the story in her text to us written very respectfully by the way she provided to us facts that simply weren't available anywhere else So we thought it was our responsibility to bring those facts to you to show you the true and full picture of this case because like Ashwara mentioned at the end of the last episode what if Hiran didn't do it then he was just a child a young boy and now a grown man whose life stays tainted by someone else's crime someone else who roams freely among us Whether or not you believe Hiran actually committed the crime that is something we will leave for all of you to decide by the end of this episode. But we at Desi Crime are not your typical clickbait news reporters shouting false claims in weird grandpa like voice modulation from across the hall. Facts come before fear mongering. And this follow up honestly raises more questions than it answers. We have linked Isha's blog in our show notes to be fully transparent. But before we dive into the new information we came across, something our listeners were hell bent on knowing, and so was I, Ashwarya, was the cause of death of Snehal. Now we know she was found weirdly discombobulated in the bed storage unit, but how exactly did she die? Was she hit, suffocated, or was this a repeat of Shakira Khalili who was buried alive in a coffin? Do we know? Yes. So after some more digging, the autopsy stated the cause of death to be strangulation. So before being awkwardly placed inside the bed box, Snehal was probably already dead. And from the research I have done ever since, it is also evident that there were no fingerprints in the entire room, nor was there any sign of sexual assault. Like I said, this raises more questions than it answers. So let us break the case's facts before venturing into Isha's version. We know Snehal voluntarily let the murderer in because there was no sign of forceful entry. The murderer clearly knew what they were doing because they left no fingerprint. The murderer did not sexually assault the 21-year-old female victim, which is rare and also suggests at least to me Ashwara and correct me if I'm wrong 
that there wasn't an element of vengeance, at least not if it was a male aggressor. Usually in these circumstances, when the perpetrator is male, there are always signs of sexual assault, but there were none in this case. This is the background. This is the summary of episode number one. Now, Ishwarya, let's go through the blog Isha Rathod, lawyer by profession and wife of Hiran by relation, has written. So the blog that Isha shared with us, which we've said we'll link to the bottom of our show notes, begins with a quote from William Blackstone, perhaps the most influential English jurist, judge and politician of the 18th century. Quote, It is better that 10 guilty persons escape than that one innocent suffer. End quote. This quote and the fact that this quote plays a key role in criminal justice systems across the world encapsulates Isha's struggle for Hiran. While Hiran was let go by the cops following his arrest in 2011 due to a lack of evidence, it's not hard to imagine why the stigma of having been a person of interest in a murder case and the murder of your own girlfriend never truly leaves you even decades after the crime. Isha had been a schoolmate of Hiran since nursery until class 10th. They weren't close friends, but Isha recounts how Hiran was a very, quote, happy-go-lucky, social, boisterous person who was full of life and energy. Hiran was really popular in school on account of his social persona. He had a good reputation academically and he participated in a lot of school activities, end quote. Would you say that Hiran's personality discounts him as a murderer? Okay, so his good personality traits vindicate him for the murder as much as his perverted posts find him guilty. It all depends on who you ask. If you ask me, I don't think this amounts to anything. Seemingly good people do bad things and seemingly bad people are capable of kindness. When I read Isha's blog, I really didn't pay much heed to romanticization of his story. She is his wife and she is his wife because she loves him, obviously. So what she thinks of him is inevitably positive because otherwise she wouldn't be his wife. The evidence, on the other hand, she lays out stands on its own merit. That's what I'm concerned with, the evidence. So let's dive into the evidence that Isha found to save her husband and more importantly, how she found it. In her own words, quote, I decided to get in touch with Hiran. If he was innocent, it was my duty as a friend and as a lawyer to help him fight this battle. I still recall the year 2010 clearly. I recall meeting Hiran clearly. And I must admit that I try to push those pictures out of my sight for they are disturbing indeed. I recall visiting a man who was broken in body and spirit. I remember the bruises of third degree torture on his persona. I recall the vacant look in his eye. I recall the distrusting spirit who was afraid of the very air he was breathing. This indeed wasn't the man I knew during school time. It took me a great deal of convincing to ask him to narrate the incidents. I heard his story not as a friend but strictly as a lawyer for I wanted to be objective while appreciating the facts. I asked him all possible questions to find any gap, any loophole. Hiran was out on bail. I pursued all the case papers to complete my analysis. I spoke to his then lawyers to get to the root of the matter. During the course of the next few days, I reviewed all of the evidence on record and did my due diligence. I was shocked to note the extent of miscarriage of justice that had happened in this case. It was surprising how the media published stories by total non-application of mind. End quote. 
and it is this non application of mind hunger for clickbait and controversy and stereotyping of male perpetrators that led to hirain saga according to isha the first pillar of evidence is as follows the press completely misconstrued the facts on the basis of a made up version given by the police at times some reports stated his name wrongly as hitain rathor with a t on other occasions the news got his address completely wrong some reports stated his place of residence incorrectly as ghatkopar or andheri in some instances they got the relationship with the deceased wrong the true facts are that hirain never resided in andheri or ghatkopar on the contrary he resided in the hisar back then isha uses this as evidence and asks the reader when the press can report such preliminary information incorrectly how can one rely on it for reaching conclusions about anyone so aran what are your thoughts on pillar number 1 see i know there is more evidence isha lays out which is actually convincing but that comes later on but i must preface my following remarks with that because honestly this pillar of evidence really doesn't mean a lot to me both you and i have done substantial research on so many cases you and i both know that the indian news misreporting small details is not something specific to hirain rathod take jayaraj and benix or the nithari murders the misreporting by indian media was astounding misreporting small details is an indian media thing not a hirain rathod thing That said, of course, it doesn't bode well for the investigation. But personally, not a fan of this line of argumentation. I think what's also important to note is that these are things that the media got wrong and not the police. The conclusion of an investigation, the ruling by a judge, is not necessarily based on the facts reported by the media. Perhaps the social repercussions depend on the facts by the media, but a judge's ruling depends completely on everything the police tells them. But I think Isha's point here is to actually highlight how the social repercussions have, you know, taken a toll on the family, which is which is a fair point that Isha is making. But yeah, as you said, and as I would like to point out to our listeners, that is not something that the judge or the judiciary takes into account. And the social repercussions are a very fair point to bring up in light of the fact that Hirain was found innocent. Exactly. Then those matter. But in cases where someone is found guilty, I don't think the fact that media reports facts wrongly actually says anything much about the case. True, but that said, it is her second argument, Ashwarya, that is genuinely shocking and is a stain on the Indian media. A lot of papers wrongly stated as follows: "Quote: The deceased cell phone was traced a day after her murder on the basis of IMEI number to a dealer in Fort, Mumbai. The SIM card was destroyed before it was sold." The dealer on interrogation gave description of the person who sold the phone to him. On the basis of the dealer's clues, Snehal's boyfriend, Hirain Rathod, was apprehended. Hirain Rathod, a Ghatkopar resident. Unquote. Now, first things first, as we just said, Hirain Rathod was never residing in Ghatkopar. He was residing in Dahisar. But that's not what is fascinating. What is fascinating is that Hirain was never caught on the basis of identification by the phone dealer of Fort. The Fort vendor gave the following description of the man who sold the cell phone to him and who was the probable killer. Quote, a 25 to 30 year old man, whitish in complexion, who was 5-6 in height and who had a mustache. Unquote. Now, Hirain Rathod was a 22 year old boy back then. 
completely clean shaven and most importantly he was wait for it 64 in height 6 feet 4 inches in height he is freakishly tall this i think is the most appalling detail to me the 5 feet 6 inches in height compared to him actually being 64 because when i first saw pictures of hirain standing next to his wife and his friends the first thing i said to aryan was holy crap how tall is this man no in fact i remember when you showed me a picture of him and his wife ishwara i thought his wife is so short but it turned out that actually hirain is the one who's incredibly tall and a 6 feet 4 inches man in india is simply unmissable if you remember something about hirain after interacting with him it would most certainly be his height and even if you don't remember his height you most certainly wouldn't say he was 5 6 that is the first sign to me that maybe the person that kills nehal is not hirain it is someone else after all And you remember that infamous sketch that the police refused to release but said that it matched Hirain? Well, we got a picture of that sketch made based on what the phone dealer saw. And it looks nothing like <laughs> Hirain. Nothing like Hirain. You can go to our Instagram to see that sketch. Pictures of the potential accused released by the investigating authority did not match one bit with Hirain on account of the description given by the Fort telephone dealer. You can see the sketch released by the police for yourself. In fact, Hirain's lawyers who got the bail for him relied precisely on this fact to point out a hole in prosecution's story. Hirain's height was a savior. There are more advantages to being 6 feet 4 than just getting women, you know. Apparently <laughs> so. But moreover, According to Isha in the identification parade where the witness sees multiple suspects and chooses one that they think is the criminal the phone dealer did not recognize Hirain as the one who sold the phone and you know what while this doesn't seem enough evidence to vindicate and clear Hirain's name we must keep in mind that it was precisely this piece of evidence that the police allegedly falsely used so if the sketch and witness do not correlate to herain what other evidence leads to herain one likely circumstantial evidence was the motive to kill it is proven that at the time herain and snehal were dating but beyond that information there is no evidence for a motive Why would Hirain kill his girlfriend? There was no history of abuse nor was there any reported tension between the couple. Ashwara, what do we know about the kind of person Hirain was at this point? Not the kind of person he was in high school, which as I said, I don't think matters too much, but his character and relationships with people around him around this time would I believe say something about his state of mind. And that is precisely what his wife argues as well. Isha points out another key piece of evidence that vindicates Hirain. Hirain had joined Voltas. You know that company whose air conditioners have been the lifeline of India. <laughs> exactly, those ones. Voltas air conditioners. Yup, he joined that AC company on July 9th, 2007, and the incident of murder occurred on July 19th, 2007. That is just 10 days after his joining. According to Isha, Hirain was very particular about attending his office. And post Snehal's murder, Voltas gave a certificate supporting and substantiating his alibi. Now I wonder, why will Voltas stand by Hirain? Why will his colleagues, most of whom knew him only for ten days, stand by him? 
there was no personal relation. It's a multinational company and it had no vested interest in protecting this man. I think it makes you think. And Voltas didn't arbitrarily stand by their employee. They had a justified reason. The distance between Hirene's Voltas office and the place of the crime, which was Dombivili, was almost two hours. He was in office from 9am to 5.30pm on the 19th of July 2007. There is enough evidence to corroborate this because since 2007, the police has conducted their own investigation at Voltas too. As per the post-mortem report, the crime happened between 12pm and 6pm. From the evidence on record, Hirene was in office at that stage and it was humanly impossible for him to remain absent from office for about five to six hours without being noticed by anyone. The evidence by the company and the colleagues clearly indicates his presence in the office during the entire duration, according to Isha, serving as the final pillar of evidence that clears Hirene's name. After reading and listening to all of this, what are your thoughts on Hold on. I was about to ask you and you pulled out the Uno <laughs> reverse card. Well, here's what I think. I think the posts you showed me that Hirene made were in poor taste. As a counsellor for children, he shouldn't be posting such lewd things. However, I don't believe in cancel culture and I don't want our listeners to thrash him for being immature. Being immature and being a murderer are very different things. And coming to the murder aspect, I honestly don't believe that there is enough evidence to convict him. And now, I I know that's an unpopular opinion because it's easy to hate the man and it's easy to hate him, especially because his posts really do not make him likable. Trust me, I was the first one to read that post and boy, did I not like them. But just hear me out as to why I actually think he is innocent. Because if there was even the slightest of accurate and true evidence, even the slightest... Mumbai police is the first to capitalize on it. Just the fact that the Mumbai police, despite trying so hard, dropped all charges on Hirene in 2011 is testament to how weak their case was. But what do I know? I am just a true crime podcaster. Plus, this was your case, madam. So Uno, reverse, reverse card if that's a thing. And let's end this episode on what (laughs) you think. Perfect. We'll end this episode on what I think. What I think is that there wasn't enough evidence during episode one and there isn't enough evidence now. What we have now is just concrete proof helping Hirene, which we also didn't have in episode one. Mm -hmm. But what I urge our listeners to do, and that has nothing to do with this case or Hirene or being a man, it has to do with listening to these episodes, is to never stop asking questions. You should have asked the questions you asked after episode one. And there's no reason to stop asking them now. Where does Isha get her information from? I think that's an important question. Why is nobody willing to put out the information she stated in her vlog? But I think Aryan brings up a very important point when he says that had the Mumbai police had any information to indict Hirene, they would have used it. They wouldn't have let him go as easily as they did. And I think with that, we leave this episode with you for you to decide what you feel, for you to make up your mind on who truly killed Snehal Gaware. Did the cops let that killer go in 2011? Or is that a killer that never reached the cops at all and is roaming freely, knowing that they might have just committed the perfect murder?
in case the killer is roaming freely stay safe stay crazy stay desi